This is Bobby Guy with the 10-Minute Health BizCast. This is album one, track seven. This is the 10-Minute Health BizCast. This is your host, Bobby Guy. With us today is Scott Yates, who's the president and CEO of First Call Ambulance. First Call is a certified veteran-owned small business that's become one of the largest ambulance companies in Tennessee. They handle about 50,000 requests for ambulance transport each year. Scott, thank you for being with us today. My pleasure, Bobby. Thank you for having me. So, Scott, tell us a little bit about the medical transport industry and what motivated you to get involved. The medical transport industry, and specifically uh, for First Call Ambulance, is the ambulance side. There's a very large part of the medical transport market that is sits between an Uber or uh, Lyft type service up to the ambulance uh, type service, and mm. uh, first call falls into the ambulance side. So that's what I'm going to I'll focus on today. But there is a very large market there on ambulance, a wheelchair ambulance, and other types of medical transport. So now I didn't realize that um, there was so much non-emergency ambulance transport. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. On the on the ambulance side, just uh, and I'll speak from data from Tennessee. Is uh, there's about a, a little over a million ambulance uh, transports every year in the state of Tennessee, half of which are non-emergency transports. Another uh, piece of uh, data that's general, pretty much across the country is if you are a first responder, which most people think of as emergency, as, a, as an ambulance service, uh, about two-thirds of those responses to calls result in a transport, a third of which uh, does not result in a transport. And so why do, why do you end up using an ambulance for non-emergency transport? Well, there's, uh, there's two, uh, two primary drivers for non-emergency ambulance trans, uh, transports. One would be a uh, patient uh, is taken by emergency to a hospital, uh, and it may be in a rural part of our country, and that patient is stabilized, and, but still but needs a higher level of care at another hospital. That transport from the patient's home to the hospital initially would be an emergency transport, ambulance transport, but the transport from one hospital to another is typically a non-emergency transport. Got it. Okay, so that's one of the two situations. And what's the other one? The other is, uh, unfortunately, there are people who find themselves bedbound for a number of reasons. It could be uh, the result of, uh, of a, a burn or other type of significant injuries where they're in long-term rehab. And then those patients uh, need to go from one place to the other, usually for some type of medical assistance. Um, and, and, and as a result, an ambulance is the, uh, the proper way to transport those patients. And so when you came personally to, to join the medical transport industry, what motivated you to do that? You know, the thing that grabbed me, Bobby, from, uh, from the very beginning is the sense of commitment and service uh, that I found not just at First Call, but throughout the industry. Uh, was was very attractive. Uh, not since my 
early days of uh, serving the United States Navy have I felt a sense of commitment to, to serving the community. And this industry, I, I think growing up, I always thought ambulances were attached to a hospital, right? Yeah, I will not bore you on the, the whole history of, uh, of EMS, uh, but the current state is the largest portion that are responsible for manning crews, EMTs and paramedics are probably the counties uh, that are counties and cities around the country, uh, then private, then the hospital systems. And then if you look at the COVID-19 crisis that we're seeing right now, do you think this will actually have some effect on bringing people into the industry? You know, I'm hoping, Bobby, that uh, the the COVID-19 is going to have the effect that Top Gun and Officer and Gentleman had on bringing people into <laughs> naval aviation. So I'm hoping that uh, there will be a call of duty to, to bring more people into the industry. So tell me about what you would do to change the industry if you could influence it and make some significant changes right now. You know, uh, Bobby, there's three areas that uh, I would love to see a little bit more focus on uh, on solving uh, some fundamental. And they all kind of come back to focusing on the patient. The first would be, uh, you know, we we hope COVID-19 is going to accelerate uh, a term of community paramedicine or you just think about being able to provide patient care in an, in a, an environment that's closer or in the patient's home. So uh, not having to have all the patients uh, go to the hospitals. We've seen that. Uh, you've, everyone's read about that in the press and how effective in keeping patients uh, in the right place. And the ambulance service services around the country can play a, a great role in that. I think that would be a wonderful uh, byproduct of, of COVID-19. So explain that piece to me before we move to the next. So you're saying that, that the ambulance services, rather than actually transporting the patient to the hospital, could play a role in seeing them at their site, for, such as their home. That's right. So if, uh, uh, remember, there's for an emergency uh, call, the patient calls 911, a, uh, an ambulance crew, EMT and paramedics show up. There are times, and there are actually some communities around the country that are uh, that are encouraging, not only encouraging or allowing the EMTs and paramedics to provide uh, service to those patients in what's called a treat no transport. I think to accelerate that would be a wonderful outcome and a, a wonderful thing for the industry to evolve into. So that was one of the three that you would like to that, that if you could influence it, you'd like to change the industry. What were the other two? So the second, Bobby, uh, you know, comes to uh, unfortunately a growing trend of uh, behavioral uh, patients, and uh, and you think about from the uh, uh, the teenager to the elderly of uh, of patients who could either be a harm to themselves or to others, and how do we provide uh, care, or how do we actually provide transportation to those patients uh, to get them the care that they need. There are, uh, there's a variety of models out there. I think the ambulance industry could play a, uh, a very good role in that uh, also. Scott, I think at one point we were talking about this and, and you told me that one of the things that happens in this situation is that um, you may have a transport to a hospital um, in a behavioral situation, but then when, because you can't, for example, go to the behavioral hospital itself because it doesn't have an emergency room, for example. So you transport 
to an ER, and then when the ER makes a determination that, oh, this person is suicidal, it'd actually be police officers that would come, handcuff the person, put them in the back of a car, and then transfer them to a behavioral facility, which is obviously a fairly traumatic experience. Is that something that happens fairly commonly across the U.S.? Every uh, every state and every uh, local entity handles it a little differently. Uh, there are uh, communities that uh, um, that have the transport from the emergency room to the behavioral is done by the police uh, under police supervision, all for the protection of the patient, especially if there's a, a risk of of self harm. But that can lead to greater trauma for both the patient and their family. Most areas, uh, for you to be admitted into care for for behavioral health, you really need to have a doctor's orders just like you would have for uh, other medical conditions. And the the predominant way that that's done today is is coming through, and especially in a, in a suicide, is you come through the emergency room, but I think there's an opportunity for greater compassion for the uh, for the patient. And in that scenario, I think EMTs and paramedics properly trained can provide uh, great care. So, Scott, tell me about the third thing that you'd change. You said there were three. So, I think the uh, the third opportunity is on the on the back office side, and that would be in the billings and collections. Uh, you know, there's been and there will continue to evolve on how we care for patients. For example, there are insurance companies that require a pre authorization for a non-emergency ambulance transport. So if I have a patient that comes in emergency to the hospital and then is transferred non-emergency from one hospital to the next, that non-emergency transfer would require pre-authorization. If that happens at uh, two o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, then uh, I still need to get that pre-authorization before I can file a claim. And if I don't get it and I make the transport, many times the, uh, the insurance is denied. And then that bill has to go to the patient for the transport. Hmm. So it comes back to consideration for the patient. Uh, so there's no surprise bills and that uh, this can be handled uh, a little bit with uh, a little more common sense. Thank you for being on the Health BizCast. This, is, um, this has been a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me, Bobby. This has been the 10-Minute Health BizCast, broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks very much for joining us.